0: y'all give it up for the children of the world choir one more time as they're headed out so awesome awesome had a great time with them this morning, and uh, I know you want to be generous in your giving, so I'd encourage you to do that as you prepare to leave today, and you can make your checks out to uh, World Help, and uh, just a great organization, ministering and saving so many children. You know, that would get your heart when they're going up in the mountains, won't it, uh, to save those kids, and I've seen that so many times uh, overseas, and just so thankful for ministries like that. Well, this morning, I'm going to preach a little bit. Are y'all okay with that? Say yes, and uh, I want to invite you. I know you brought your Bible. So open it with me to Luke's gospel chapter 13 Threw a curveball on you there I'm preaching from Luke this morning (laughs) Y'all are terrible That was a funny joke I thought Luke 13 And I want to talk to you on the subject this morning Okay with God I'm okay with God Luke chapter 13 Let's go ahead and stretch out a little bit So you stand to your feet in honor of God's word Beginning in verse 1 If you've got it there say amen And the Bible says, now on the same occasion, there were some present who reported to Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And Jesus said to them, do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? He says, I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he began telling this parable. A man had a fig tree which had been planted in his vineyard, and he had come looking for fruit on it and did not find any. And he said to the vineyard keeper, Behold, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? And he answered and said to him, Let it alone, sir, for this year too, until I dig around it and put in a fertilizer. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. But if it does not, then cut it down. Let's bow together. Father, we thank you uh, for these children who have come this morning uh, to minister to you as well as to our hearts. And God, I pray that you are pleased with our time together today as we seek to lift up the reality of your son, Jesus Christ, and what he has done to redeem us and to restore us into a relationship with you. And God, I pray for our time of worship this morning in the word, that you would grant grace speaking by the Holy Spirit to every single person's heart. I pray as well, God, that you would fill me with your spirit, take total control, enable and empower me to remain focused on the task at hand to deliver your word this morning. And I pray as well for our time of invitation that you would begin to call people into a relationship with you, and we'll give you glory for how you work. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray, and everybody said, amen, and you can be seated. Well, as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, you and I have been given a task by him to go and make disciples everywhere. A disciple, what does one look like? A disciple is an individual who worships, reaches, grows, serves, and leads other people to do the exact same. Now, you and I are planted sovereignly by God's design in this culture that we might carry the light of the gospel to those who are far from God. So we've been given this task. And as we go into our current culture, it is amazing all of the different responses that you and I will receive when we share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there is something that I have found to be very similar in both White and Hall County uh, since I've lived here for a couple of years. The majority of the people that I share the gospel with uh, in this culture actually have some form of belief in God. And the majority of them as well seem to be saying to me that they are okay with God. You know, Randy and I, our associate pastor, were eating lunch at a barbecue place this past week close to Delanaga. And while we were there, we began to talk with the waitress and share the gospel with her. And so I asked her, if she were to die, where would she spend eternity? And she quickly said, uh, without a doubt, she'd spend it in heaven. I said, so tell me why you're so uh, confident in that particular response. And she says to me, uh, because I believe in Jesus and so wanting to kind of keep the conversation going and to figure out a little bit more about her situation, I said, you know, the Bible says that the devil believes in Jesus, but that doesn't mean he's going to heaven. And so then she immediately kind of dropped her hands and opened her jaw. She was a little shocked. She said, I've been asked that question twice since I've been working here. What would happen to me if I died right now? And the first time a man asked me that, I told him that I would go to heaven. And he said, why? And I said, because I'm a good person. And then he told me that you don't get to heaven by being good, but you've got to believe in Jesus. And so now you're asking me, and I'm telling you I believe in Jesus. Is that not the right answer either? See, she thought that she was okay with God. And yet she was just simply trying to get an answer to a question right. And this is the kind of context in which you and I live, that there are many people, when you share the gospel and I share the gospel, to make a disciple, you begin with the gospel, that they will say, hey, I'm okay with God. But why do people respond in this matter? Why do people actually think that they are okay with God? Why is it this morning as I preach through services that there will be people in the context of those services who have come to church and they think that they are okay with God? But why is that? Well, Jesus gives us two major reasons that people believe that they are okay with God. And he not only shows us what they believe, but he also shows us how we are to respond as we begin to make disciples. And so let's begin, first of all, by noting that there are some people who would say, I must be okay with God because there is no tragedy in my life. There's no tragedy in my life. Look in your Bible, chapter 13 and verse 1. You've got it there, say yes. Now pay attention, this is awesome. He says, now on the same occasion, there were some present who reported to Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Now, not much is known about this historical event. However, it seems that this tragedy had occurred uh, very soon to the time frame in which they had come asking Jesus about it. You had some Galileans who were in a temple on one occasion making sacrifices to the Lord. And in the context of making those sacrifices, Pilate had sent in some assassins and they murdered those people who were worshiping before the altar. And in the context of their murder, the blood which flowed from their veins mixed with the blood of the sacrificial animals and it went over the altar. And now these individuals are coming to Jesus trying to figure out what he might have to say about the situation. Now as we understand Jewish culture, you and I come to find a very interesting fact about them. In this particular day, they actually believed that if a person suffered, it was a direct result of their sin. And so whenever they began to talk about these Galileans who had been put to death in the temple, they in some form or fashion believed that they actually deserved the wrath of God in that moment. And they would, in their hearts and minds, believe that, that, that those Galileans were actually greater sins than they themselves. And because they had escaped this tragedy, they did not receive this punishment of death in the temple. And so now they come to Christ asking him questions. Now, the root problem of the individual's heart that is asking the question to Jesus is self-righteousness. They, in some form or fashion, believed that what they do or what they do not do had somehow accredited them righteousness before Almighty God. And because there was no tragedy in their life, Because there was a lack of suffering, they believed that they were okay with the Lord. So now, how does Jesus actually respond to their situation? Look in your Bible with me, if you will, at verse 2. Jesus said to them, do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? See, Jesus identified the root issue in the heart of those who had told the story about Pilate and the murderers. There were people present who felt that they were more righteous because they didn't suffer the same fate as the Galileans in the temple. In other words, they were thinking, I must be okay with God because I have escaped tragedy. Now, as I share the gospel and as you share the gospel, we run into this kind of response. If you were to die right now, where would you spend eternity? Heaven. Tell me why you're so confident. Well, because, man, I've just been so blessed in my life. I know the Lord is a part of my life. And they begin to go through a litany of what they consider blessings from God. They say, I have a great job. I've got a great family. I'm just really blessed. I know that God has given me all of these things. But underneath this thought pattern... Is quite often a heart of self-righteousness, which believes that because they have blessings in their life, that they somehow earned it because of their goodness before God. And I've also visited those who were in the hospital who are far from God, did not have a relationship with Him. And so I share the gospel with them. They don't respond in faith, but instead they do ask me because I'm a pastor, they're like, just pray for me. And so I'll pray for them. And then I've seen some of them recover and they'll come back to me and they'll say, I must be okay with God because he got me out of the hospital. So everything must be all right because I have escaped some tragedy. So how do we respond? Well, we could say, do you suppose that those who are poor and who have a lack of what we would consider blessings are greater sinners than you? Uh, Do you suppose that... And do you think that because individuals suffer and you do not, that God somehow has granted this to you because you are more righteous and good than other people? Look in your Bible at verse 3. Jesus says, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So Jesus tells his listeners that they will experience the same fate as the Galileans. What do the Galileans experience? Death. And so Jesus says you'll experience the same thing because you are guilty of sin before God just as those Galileans were in the temple. Notice verse 4, Jesus brings up another scenario. He says, do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? So Jesus brings up this other tragedy. And this tragedy did not have murderers in it. A building simply collapsed, most likely due to a faulty foundation, and it fell upon 18 people and crushed them immediately, and their life was snuffed out. And Jesus is like, you think those people were worse culprits than you? And listen, the word culprits is a unique word in the Greek New Testament. It speaks of those who are offenders, those who are in debt. And in this case, Jesus is like, do you think that building fell on them because they had a greater sin debt than everyone else in Jerusalem? In other words, you are no more righteous than those who suffered this great tragedy. So what is the response to those who generically say, I'm okay with God because I have escaped tragedy. Things are great in my life, so God must be pleased. What is the response? Jesus gives us the response in verse 5. I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. See, Jesus states that the same fate of death is in store for everyone unless they repent. Everybody use that word, say it, repent. That was like four of you. Y'all are terrible this morning. Y'all like lose an hour sleep last night. (laughs) Y'all listen, I woke up this morning, I'm like, Lord, where's the sun? There is no more sun. (laughs) Hurt my feelings. Everybody say repent, repent. We've got to learn that word. It literally means to have a change of mind, to turn from a faulty way of thinking. And what were Jesus' listeners uh, needing to repent about? They needed to turn from their own self-righteousness. They supposed they were okay with God because they were not experiencing great tragedy. But Jesus told them that if they did not repent of their sin of self-righteousness, they would indeed face great tragedy in the near future. And you know, the Bible says in Hebrews 9 and 27 that it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. So newsflash, all of us are going to die. We're going to stand before God at the judgment. And for those that you share the gospel with and I share the gospel with, or even those present this morning, if they say, I must be okay with God because of a lack of tragedy, then they still have not repented of their sin and placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the absence of tragedy is no indication that a person is all right with God. You are no better than any other person on the planet. The Bible says we have all sinned and fallen short of God's holy standard. The Bible also says that the wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. See, to experience eternal life and avoid eternal death, we must repent of our sin and place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, salvation given to us as a free gift. And so that is the only way that a person can actually be right with God. We must turn from our sinful way of thinking. We were to no longer justify ourselves by unbiblical measures. You know, sharing the gospel with individuals. They often begin to tell me that they're not that bad of a person. I'm not that bad. And I typically respond, yeah, compared to everybody else. But ultimately, you and I are not compared to everybody else, we're compared to the law of God. And we are sinners before God, and we should, in a broken fact, fall before the Lord of glory and admit that we are sinners, turn from our sin, and trust the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection as payment for our sin. The blood of Jesus Christ shed on Calvary's hill is the only way a person can actually be forgiven. So it is essential that you repent and you trust in Jesus Christ. There is no other way. Now, secondly, I would say that there are individuals who make the comment, I must be okay with God because I believe that God exists. So look in your Bible, 13, verse 6. He began telling this parable. A man had a fig tree which had been planted in his vineyard. And he came looking for fruit on it and didn't find any. And he said to the vine keeper, Behold, for three years you've come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? And he answered and said to him, Let it alone, sir, for this year too, until I dig around it and put in fertilizer. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. But if not, then cut it down. Now this parable, which Jesus Christ is sharing here deals specifically with the nation of israel jesus had come to them as the promised messiah of the old testament however they did not repent and receive jesus as king instead they rejected him they rebelled against him and as we'll see in this month they put him on the tree they were like the fig tree in the Text of scripture they were very leafy, but they were that without any true spiritual fruit and crazy thing about it though Is that those in Israel had a massive Jewish identity that was rooted in the Old Testament scriptures? They were extremely religious and would never say that they didn't believe in God In fact many of them were of the opinion that because they were Jewish and believed in God then they were okay with the Lord but they were far from the truth you know, Jesus states in the parable that since the tree was without fruit, even though the vinekeeper was extremely patient, that tree would need to be cut down because it was fruitless. And the idea of cutting down the tree was a foreshadowing of what the Lord would actually do with Israel. Because they would not repent of their sin, they would be cut down. And the New Testament church would be grafted in. And even though they may have been extremely leafy, they were, listen, without fruit. Now, I want you to think about it for just a moment. In the Garden of Eden, y'all remember this story? Adam and Eve were there. They were given one particular rule. Anybody remember what the rule was? Shout it out if you remember. Yeah, don't eat from that tree. Just stay away from that tree. Everything else, I mean, go nuts, all right? Just not that tree. But Adam and Eve actually ended up eating from the tree. And you'll remember, according to the Bible, what they did. They, as soon as they fell and committed the sin, ran to other trees and ripped off these massive leaves and tried to cover up their nakedness. As soon as they sinned, they experienced separation from God, and the guilt of sin was upon their life. And so they started a new church in the Garden of Eden. And that church, they would have named it Leafy Baptist Church. Are y'all listening? They were covering up all of their sin, trying to cover it up from God. And yet God came, as according to the scripture, into the garden and called them out on the carpet for their sin. And that's what Israel was involved in in Luke chapter 13, as well as the rest of the gospel of Luke. They had created a religious system of leaves, and they were trying to cover up their guilt and shame. This is what Paul the Apostle did as well before he came into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So Paul was like, if anybody could brag about their leaves, I could. I have more leaves than anybody else. He'd be holding up the leaf. I was circumcised on the eighth day, which was a big deal in Jewish culture. I was of the nation of Israel, leaf number two. Leaf number three, I was from the tribe of Benjamin. Leaf number four, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. Leaf number five, as to the law, I was a Pharisee. I had all of these leaves, Paul would say. And yet, He would find, which I think is awesome, and ultimately say that his leaves of religion were rubbish, trash, in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He repented of his sin, and he realized that his external religious activities could never, ever cover up his sinful heart. And that's the deal with some people who we share the gospel of Jesus Christ with today. They could be uh, very uh, similar to Israel as well as Paul the apostle in our day. Because of the things that they have done, the religious activities, they are placing all of these leaves on their life to cover up their sinful heart. And so they will throw on the leaf of baptism. Here's a leaf, been baptized. I'm good to go with God. Here's a leaf, I've had the Lord's Supper before. I'm good to go before God. Here's a leaf, I joined a church one time. I'm good to go before the Lord. Here's a leaf, I was confirmed in a church one time. Here's another leaf, I'm involved in all kinds of religious activities. I go to Sunday school. I've been on mission trips. I give to the offering plate. Here I am putting all of these leaves on trying to cover up a sinful heart but your external religious activity cannot wipe away one single sin in your life and that's what the scriptures teaching here and if the Lord Jesus Christ comes and you are all leaves and no fruit you will be cut down that is the strong statement of the Lord Jesus Christ in this text so what should you do well Jesus says you better repent or else you will likewise perish. You better turn and trust Christ, or you will perish. See, when a, genuine, or when a person genuinely repents of their sin, there is visible evidence from their hearts of that person which God himself sees. Here's some ways you know that you've not repented. Are y'all listening? Say yes. You have not repented if you are concerned about your reputation. So if you come into the context of a worship service and hear a gospel message, and God says, you need that, and yet you say, there's no way I can make a decision. All these people know me. I grew up in this town. I grew up in this church. What if I came forward? What would everybody say? That's not repentance repentance says I could care less about my reputation I want to just simply be right with Almighty God and so repentance turns from sin trust Jesus Christ and says I don't give a rip what you say about it that is genuine repentance but we also know that you have not repented if you are seeking to justify your sin And so you sit there and you hear the truth, and yet you want to justify your sinful lifestyle. Surely God's all right with this. Surely it's not that big of a deal. That is not repentance. Repentance says, if God abhors it, I abhor it as well. And so I want to turn from my old way of thinking and living and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, David has a phenomenal prayer of repentance in Psalm 51. You may want to go through it this week, but listen to what he writes. He says to the Lord, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only, Lord, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. See, genuine repentance brings forth a life that desires to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and to honor him. Genuine repentance brings forth fruits In keeping with repentance. And fruit is what the Lord himself looks for in your life and in my life. But you and I can't even muster up the fruit in our life. We can't in our flesh create fruit that will please God. We must repent of our sin, place our faith in Jesus. God, by the power of Jesus Christ, gives us the indwelling Holy Spirit. And in our submission to Him, the Spirit of God bears fruit in our life. And the Lord knows who are His. Are y'all out there? Say yes. Now, when I lived in a different house before I moved here, uh, we had a vacant house next to us for a little while. And finally, we had some neighbors move in. Nobody wanted to live next to us. But anyway, here they did. They came in and moved in. And I remember uh, not long after kind of getting to know them and driving back and forth to work that I left one morning and drove by and looked at the house, and the flower bed was absolutely empty. Drove home that afternoon, looked at the flower bed again. And by the way, I don't normally do this. Are y'all listening? But anyway, so I looked at the flower bed again, and it had all of these tulips lined up in it. And I thought to myself, those things weren't there this morning. How in the world did they get those tulips to grow so fast? And they were beautiful, too. Y'all listening? Nah. (laughs) Tulips. Are y'all listening to me preach? But anyway, so the tulips were there. And then finally, I started thinking, there's no way in the world those tulips grew that quick. And they stayed in the ground for like weeks at a time. This makes no sense whatsoever. So I snuck over to inspect tulips. They were plastic, <laughs> fake tulips, three-foot tall. Are y'all listening? So I cut every one of them down and burned them in my fireplace. I'm just kidding. But it's unique. Driving by the house, just cruising along, you would look out there and say, look at their garden. They got it going on up there. Look at all those flowers. And yet every one of them were fake. Now, I want you to think about this. The Bible teaches in the book of Revelation that the Lord Jesus Christ goes among the churches. And as he comes into the church at Concord, question, is he seeing fake tulips? Or does he see genuine repentance, genuine faith in his son Jesus Christ? Does he see fruit here? That's the question. Does he see fruit in your life? Hey, leaves won't cut it, man. There must be fruit. And the only way you can get fruit is by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I'd encourage you, if you've not made a decision to follow Jesus, that you'd do so. Amen? Let's bow together. Father, thank you for your word this morning.